in the 30 plus years of being here in Northern Virginia, I've noticed this, that when people move in into this area, they, um, um, many are not willing to pay the price of being affiliated with a church that is emphasizing the Holy Spirit. So I thank God for all of you who are here today. You pressed against that spirit of this age to be able to affiliate and identify with the Assemblies of God and Vienna Assembly of God. So thank you for paying that price. And so when we talk about uh, one of the metaphors of the Holy Spirit being oil, what comes to mind when I say oil-rich lands? Oil-rich lands. Texas? What, what's synonymous with that? Wealth. And so I want to play in the, background, in the background of your mind this, that when you give yourself fully to the Holy Spirit, this world might not benefit you with that worldly wealth, but it's going to, you're going to gain some, you're going to gain some wealth that's invisible, intangible in many ways, that cannot, uh, you cannot put a number on it. Just that little testimony that Bethany experienced, the kids camp, and Brenda said, that's worth a million bucks. Literally, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you give yourself completely to the Holy Spirit, you are going to receive an inheritance that is indescribably wealthy, indescribably blessed. So that's kind of, I want you to be playing that in the background of your mind as we talk about these metaphors of the Holy Spirit. And so theology, the, theologians have, have discussed about the scarcities of uh, the mentioning of the Holy Spirit in scriptures. The Father and the Son are given mainly preeminence when it's recorded in scripture. And so there's, a, there, there's kind of an understanding here among theologians that it is the, it's typical. It is speaking of the humility of the Holy Spirit. And as 1 Corinthians 13 says... Um, love does not seek its own. So by the reality that the Holy Spirit is not mentioned as many as the other ones, it is speaking to his humility and his, and his willingness to, to kind of be behind the scenes doing the work of the Lord. So metaphors are tricky, though. When you're talking about the Holy Spirit and using a metaphor about the Holy Spirit, it's a little tricky because sometimes you can get stuck on the, the object itself and miss what is being mentioned about the Holy Spirit. So one of the, my, my own personal critiques on the Assemblies of God and uh, people who emphasize the Holy Spirit is typically there's an emphasis on the exuberance on, or on the... Uh, on a on a de demonstrative experience. Well, what I'm gonna I'm gonna try to encourage you today is to try to take your own brand of this and to use these metaphors as a as a way to meditate. So when Brenda and I share the pulpit today, we're going to be going back and forth using particular metaphors. What my hope is that you will use these as a metaphor to actually sit and meditate on what this would literally mean and how it would apply to the Holy Spirit. So it is our hope that you would use these metaphors as a means of meditation. So 
My, my first topic today is oil. Oil is one of the metaphors of the Holy Spirit. It's a biblical revelation. It refers primarily to olive oil, not petroleum oil, as I mentioned earlier. Uses of oil were food. Uh, they were used for light, like oil lamps. They were consecration of the priests. They were used for lotion and a skin ointment. They were used as healing. And they were in olive oils as some medicinal properties as well. And just to FYI, every morning I anoint myself with oil. I have a trinity of oils I use, and every day I anoint myself with oil. And olive oil is a third of that mixture. And so I anoint myself with oil, praying the prayer of health and healing and blessing into and upon my body. And it is a metaphor of the Holy Spirit being absorbed into my skin, permeating every aspect of my body. And as I meditate on the, the absorption of the oil into my being, and I think about the Holy Spirit being in me and absorbing into every part of my being, it, it is a metaphor in a way for me to hold on to my faith, believing that the Holy Spirit is empowering every aspect of my body and my being. It's typically uh, synonymous with anointing uh, the, the king's example. The prophet Judge Samuel, Samuel anointed David with oil and then subsequently he was empowered to be the king. And so and, and, and in a like manner, the, the scripture says that the anointing left King Saul. And so we, we understand that the anointing is synonymous with the Holy Spirit anointing or empowering people for service. And so the, uh, the, the, one of the main emphasis of Jesus is that he is referred to as Jesus the Christ or Jesus the anointed one or Jesus the Messiah. What, the, what this means is that he's Jesus the anointed by the Holy Spirit one. Uh, Isaiah 61 and also is also quoted in Luke. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news. And in Acts 10, 38, it is said of Jesus, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, our God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. And so this is, this is to show us that, that Jesus was a, he was the son of God. He was the thir third member of the Trinity. But while he was on planet earth in his ministry, he did not operate in that divinity aspect. He operated as you and I will operate in a relationship with God, anointed or empowered by the Holy Spirit. So one way I'm I'm hoping you will use this, this lessons, these metaphors of the Holy Spirit is you will see oil as a synonymous with the anointing. And so be anointed and be like Jesus, like David, like other people in the Bible who receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do the work of the Lord. Amen. So we're, we're do, just to give you a little map here, there are six total symbols we're going to talk about. So he did the first one, oil. I'm doing the next one, which is wine. And in Matthew 9, 17, we read that no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. 
So according to Lorraine Mastrorio, Jesus used the subject of wineskins as an analogy to explain that the new covenant of salvation through faith in Jesus alone would not fit in the old ways of Judaism. And that's very true. It doesn't fit. New wine would burst old wineskins because the skins had no flexibility and they would be unable to expand with the pressure of the fermenting gases. It is this bubbly nature of wine which is used as another symbol of the Holy Spirit. So as we talked about in week one of this series, in both Acts 2 and in Ephesians 5, a reference to being drunk with wine is made in connection with being filled with the Holy Spirit. The symbol brings to mind a sense of euphoria, enthusiasm, and energy. And I believe it can be summed up with this, joy. When we drink in the Holy Spirit, we are filled with joy. Now, just think, let's just think about that phrase a minute. Drink in the Holy Spirit. In a practical way, how do we do that? How do you drink in this person of the Holy Spirit? And specifically talking about this symbol of wine. Well, I think one way is from the Ephesians 5 passage that we've read. And in verses 18 through 20, it says, Instead, be filled with the Spirit, or as we learned it, that is best said, be being filled, a continuous thing, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, I believe this is speaking of both cause and and effect. So just think of it. When you are filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, what happens is you're going to find yourself singing, making music in your heart, and giving thanks to God for everything. Now, I, I say singing, and, and some of you say, um, I don't sing. <laughs> I'm not a singer. I'm not a musician, I don't sing. But the scripture talks about singing and it doesn't, it doesn't in this reference speak of it as a skilled musician. Now there are places in the Psalms where there's skilled musicians that are put in the front to help lead us in worship. But the idea of singing and making music in your heart is not confined to that group of people. So even if you think you can't carry a tune in a bucket, there is something about singing unto the Lord and just letting it belt it out, just singing to the Lord. And so when you have this fullness of the Holy Spirit in you, it's that kind of expression that happens. And so I just want to encourage you, if you have been if you're a little shy, now he just talked about meditation and I don't disagree with that. But then there's this time where there's something churning within you that feels like music. <laughs> and, it's, and it is a unto the Lord, according to Ephesians 5. But that's, that can be an effect, but it can also be a cause. When you choose to sing psalms 
and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. Make music in your heart unto the Lord. Give thanks to God for everything in Christ Jesus. Even as Juby described, in the hard moments, in the trying times where I already did it yesterday, but I got to do it again today. And I got to do it again. And I got to do it again. When you choose this pattern, that affects a fullness of the Holy Spirit. That is a part of how do you drink in this wine of the Holy Spirit. So it's both cause and effect. When we just experience his presence, then it, 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 we're going to bubble over with music. But if we will, even if we're not quite feeling it, choose to sing unto the Lord, make music in our heart. And if you don't feel like you can personally sing, you live in a time where you do not have to spend a few weeks marching up to Jerusalem to get to the temple to worship God. We have worship music at our fingertips at any minute of any day. You can always find worship music to sing along with, to build your spirit up and allow yourself to experience and drink in the wine, which is that bubbly, <laughs> joyous part of the Holy Spirit. That's what that symbol speaks to us about. So that's wine. Craig's coming up next with wind? No. Oh, sorry. The Holy Spirit is a metaphor for ice cream, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not a biblical metaphor for Holy Spirit, right? So it is wind. I wish the Holy Spirit would be metaphor. A metaphor, a high scream would be a metaphor of the Holy Spirit. I would have more partaking of that uh, scene. But really, the most used metaphor in the Bible is wind. Wind is one of the most used metaphors to understand the working of the Holy Spirit. It's the most frequent. It's both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. For spirit, they got a range of meaning discerned by its usage. Breath. The human spirit, wind, life, air and motion, living power, an angelic spirit, the capital, cap, capital S spirit of God. So in the Hebrew, the Old Testament, the Hebrew term is R-U-A-H. It's used in the following ways, 27 times for breath, 92 times for wind, 108 times for capital S spirit, um, and 124 times for little s spirit, for human or angelic or demonic. And in the Greek or the New Testament, the term is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. The following usage is uh, spiritual, just one time, as in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, wind two times, breath three times, spirits 32 times, spirit 103 times, capital S spirit, 239 times, and sometimes when you uh, add a couple other uses in scriptures, it'll jump up to 260 times, which the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of God, or the term pneuma. And so the, the use of these terms refer to and to help us understand that the Holy Spirit is understand by invisibility, life, giving or living, um, unlimited power and presence and necessary for life in terms of air that's all around us and ultimately sustains all living beings on planet earth is this air. And so we've got this, um, 
We, we, we understand God as being spiritual so the, the, to, to understand that, we, that, he, the Holy, that, that God has a, he is spiritual just as we are spiritual. And this term, either soul or spirit, depending on people would translate or understand that invisible part of a human being, helps us understand that the, 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 the spirit of God is invisible, life-giving, He's unlimited in power and presence and necessary for life. He's also omnipotent. I mean, omnipresent. Every, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. And so that sense of wind or sense of breath tells us that this presence is everywhere. Just like you, and you can't see the Holy, you can't see God at work unless you see the Holy Spirit working or moving such as you can't see the wind unless you see the kite a kite is flying or you can't see the the wind unless you see the sails billowing on a ship you can't see the wind unless you see a leaf blowing or something something being blown by the wind then you see the direction of the wind so people believe that um that the whole that jesus lived in this this complete interdependency of the holy spirit his, his life permeated this sense of his, he lived and breathed. And that is another way to understand the sense of the Holy Spirit. I, as I live and breathe, this sense of the Spirit is understood by this term breath, this, this life-giving, this wind. And so um, the Creator understands that we, we, we tend to... Um, we tend to limit what we, what we feel the Holy Spirit and God, the Father, God, the Son can do. And so when, when, when one of the primary uses in the Bible of being wind is to help us understand the invisibility, the life-giving and sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. The next symbol is water. And in John chapter 7... Verses 37 through 39, we read, On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Then John puts in parentheses, when he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him, but the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So living water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. C.G. Cruz explains that on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, was when Jesus made this promise of living water. And so to appreciate the impact, let's look at what happened at that festival in the first century. There was a water pouring ritual during this feast. For the first six days of the feast, they would fill a golden flagon with water from the pool of Siloam and carry it back to the temple. When they reached the water gate, Three blasts on the shofar, the ram's horn trumpet, were sounded. When they arrived at the temple, they processed around the altar and sang the Hallel, which is a group of psalms, 113 through 118. And the people would shake these um, special bouquet things, 
called lulabs, made of myrtle, palm, and willow, and the priest would shake theirs, which were made from poplar branches. So it's this very ceremonial thing with this water ceremony. And then they would take the flagon full of water to the priest on duty, who had two silver bowls, one for the water and the other for wine, and they were filled and then poured over the altar. On the seventh day, they processed around the altar seven times. And um, people believed that when the Messiah came, he would provide the water rather than having to carry it from the pool of Siloam, just as Moses had done, how the water came from the rock. And so as they, um, this was the setting of this feast where Jesus stood up and said loudly, anyone who is thirsty come to me and out of your inner being will flow rivers of living water. So in both the Old and New Testaments, we see this symbol. Jesus said this water will quench the thirsty soul. Our inner being is created for fellowship with God. And there is no other thing that is going to quench that thirst other than the Spirit of God. We are made for relationship. And it's like a driving thirst. You know in the Psalms where he says, As the deer longs for the water, my soul longs for you. So this imagery of living water reminds me of some of the personality traits that we talked about of the Holy Spirit. He is pure. I see living water like the cool, clear, spring-fed waters that Craig and I grew up with in Florida. You could literally see 20 feet or more to the bottom of these rivers. And it was, um, it was, it was the thing to do with the, when you're teenagers is you go on inner tubes, get dropped off at one place, and just float down these rivers and um, they pick you up, you know, at the next place. They are, they have a strong enough current that they just carry you down the river. And in that river is just beautiful, clear water that, that you can just see forever. And so I, that image is something that I have in my, you know, brain of seeing that clear water. And I, that's what I see when these living waters, these are, these are, fresh, pure, living waters that he's talking about flowing from us. The Holy Spirit is powerful. We've seen this last week, the power of water unleashed. At least you have. (laughs) I was in Nashville. (laughs) But you saw some of the floods on some of the streets. And when water, it can be unleashed with destructive power. But the Holy Spirit's power is one of cleansing, nourishing, sparkling, living water. And if we are being filled with the Holy Spirit, his presence and liveliness can't be contained. It will flow. And so that's what Jesus was describing. Out of your innermost being, we, it's, it, it, and it's just this um, amazing both-and situation. We're drinking in. Our thirst is being quenched but then it's flowing out and it's a, and others notice it. It is visible in terms of the joy, the sparkling, the livingness, 
of it, of the Holy Spirit coming out through our countenance, our speech, and our behavior. That's good. Isn't that good? <laughs> Love it. So my final metaphor is on the dove. And so one of the rare accounts, this, is, this particular metaphor is used in all four of the Gospels in which when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. That is a very rare account. And so it's, um, it is really the, but it's really the only, only time really that it's used as a dove. And so it's very interesting that of all the other metaphors, it seems like the, the dove is what has captured more people's attention when you would want a metaphor of the Holy Spirit. I know in the 60s and 70s when the charismatic renewal occurred that was the symbol um, the dove is what you would put on your car or your windshield or other ones as a, a symbol in saying I've been filled with the Holy Spirit I even had one on my floor machine my buffer uh, to signify that I was a f- person filled with the Holy Spirit and so the main importance that um that was given that the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove, um, it, was, it was given, is like an advance notice. This is the Messiah, but why a dove? And so um, that's why I want to try, to try to pursue a little bit. Why would the Holy Spirit come in the form of a dove? So the selection of a dove seems like it is appropriate to be a metaphor the third person of the holy spirit third person of the triune triune god which is compared to other creatures that it could have been manifested of so the dove came, comes from a from above to below it suggests uh it is a graceful or he is a graceful flying creature um more meaning seems to be built into the dove idea when you go back to Genesis 1-2 when the Holy Spirit was hovering over creation or moving over the face of the waters um, or it, it, it's actually many translators say it's moving as a bird hovering over those so um, what, what I'm thinking what is going on here is the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a, uh, of a bird so that we would see the Holy Spirit as a as a bird, as a with birdly ways, and so when we think of birdly ways, probably of all birds, what comes to mind as a bird that hovers? A hummingbird, and a hummingbird in many faith faith faiths are uh, either given a status of, of deity or a at least a symbol of deity. Uh, in many cultures, the hummingbird is seen as uh, as an elevated form of uh, uh, bird, some would even worship it. We're not even beginning to say that, but there's something special about a bird that can hover. And so that is one sense, if you want to think about birdly ways to, as a metaphor of the Holy Spirit, to think about the Holy Spirit is hovering about you being welcomed into every aspect of your life. And another aspect of, of a hummingbird is they're fairly rare. You don't see that many of them. And it again alludes to the point I made earlier that the Holy Spirit 
is um, compared to the references to God the Father or God the Son or would be scarce in Scripture. So it would certainly be a special thing to see a hummingbird. And when we also think about the dove, um, at least in Northern Virginia, it's, it's kind of a, it's not near as common as other birds. So it's, it's, a, it's a great thing to see a bird. And, and, and I'm going to take a little odds with some of the study I did on this. They seem to feel like most of the doves that they were uh, thinking about were, were white. And so I'm, I'm really sensitive on, uh, and he was equating purity with whiteness. And I'm, I'm really sensitive since I got an awakening on gender and racial equality, not to, not to use those colors because in, in, in our world, what, what is, what's the color of a dove? They're kind of gray. So, so let's just say uh, the Holy Spirit is gray area. Did I lose anybody on that one? <laughs> but I'm just trying to say to you, let's just try to move away from metaphors on colors would equal a certain particular thing, especially when we're talking about the Holy Spirit. We, we, we do know this, don't we? That the Holy Spirit has manifested himself through all cultures, through all languages, and at the very outpouring of the Holy Spirit is shown that he is uh, manifest to all nations, all cultures. Can, can I get an amen on that one? Okay, there we go. So the, holy, the connection between the dove at the Jordan River would certainly focus back to the Genesis account hovering over the, over the face of the waters. It would certainly tie in to the Noah account that the dove was sent out as a scout uh, over the waters. And so there's a link here. There's, a, there's, a, there's definitely that link that after the wrath of God was poured out on the, on the earth, the flood abated. It was the dove that brought back the symbol of the, the olive branch. And for many people, for many years, that was the symbol that would designate peace. Now there's been a movement back to the, uh, the, the hippie symbol for, for peace. But we that are, the, for years, the, the symbol of peace was the dove with the little piece of olive branch in its mouth. Another thing is that doves were used in sacrifices. So um, it'd been really hard for the Holy Spirit to have fallen out of heaven in the form of a heifer or in the form of this. Um, it was like the Holy Spirit, <laughs> wouldn't that be funny? Okay, uh, the Holy Spirit came down in the form. Because so there's a form of a sacrificial animal that, that the poor could use they couldn't necessarily go slay find a heifer but they could certainly bring a dove to the temple to symbolize their offering so anyway um, I just appreciate these the various metaphors I've been given to, to share just dove are just one of many and to bring to exciting conclusion to this is our pastor amen so if you've been tracking the symbols we've had so far are oil wine wind water dove all of those are symbols in the scripture for the holy spirit and the last one that i'm going to talk about is fire Whoa. so fire has been a symbol of god's presence throughout biblical history from the burning bush where the presence of God was burning a bush, but without fuel, a fire without natural fuel. It was, there was a fire, but the bush was not burning up. The pillar of fire, 
that guided the people of God through the wilderness. The fire's soft glow in the tabernacle and later in the temple that confirmed God's presence was there and was very comforting to, their, to his people as they saw it there. The fire of God consuming the sacrifice on Mount Carmel. Again, not with natural fuel because the natural fuel had been soaked several times over with water and yet God's fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. And on the day of Pentecost, the tongues of fire that appeared over every single person in the upper room, the scripture says, each one had a tongue of fire that appeared over their head. So fire is also a symbol of purification. So the, the Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. He also is pure, and fire is a symbol of purification. Now, we've had the floods. Other parts of our nation have been dealing with the fires. And so we know that these symbols have destructive elements to them. But I, I want you to rein that part in and just think about what we're talking about here with purification. John the Baptist told the crowds that were following him in Luke 3, I baptize you with water. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. So the, the purity aspect of fire, the purifying strength of fire, is that when it's God's fire, when it's the Holy Spirit's fire, it has the capability of burning that which needs to go, but preserving that which needs to stay. And so that if we allow that purification to happen, he will do that work within us, allowing the bad things to burn, but not destroying us. So thinking about fire, this story came to mind. Craig and I are blessed to have some property at Smith Mountain Lake. And when we bought it, it was um, what was on the property was a trailer home. Um, I don't even know the size of it, but that, that was one of the reasons we were able to afford that property is that it was an older property and it, it wasn't a, a house on it. It was a trailer. After a few years of owning it, we determined that, okay, I think we're ready to, we're ready to take the plunge and, and, um, build a house, but we couldn't until that trailer was gone. And nobody wanted that trailer. As a matter of fact, to get that trailer out of there was going to cost thousands of dollars. So we determined, okay, we're going to demolish this trailer. <laughs> so I haven't used this skill set since then, and that was back in 2005. But I learned how to use a Sawzall. I literally, if you can imagine this, Daniel and David, I was with the Sawzall, tear, going through walls like this, going through ceilings like this, and just pulling stuff down. After about two and a half days of that, and we still weren't done, uh, 
Here's what we would say to each other. I wish we could just light a match. <laughs> I wish we could just burn this thing down. That would be so much easier and so much faster. And of course, so illegal and so much more dangerous, right? So when I'm thinking about fire, I'm thinking about that. You know, like sometimes we just want to get, the, get it over with fast and like, could we just have some natural fire just come and deal with this? Um, this, the story is, by the end of the week, I had construction man hands. My fingers were swollen like that and couldn't close, you know. And I was like, no wonder guys have such big hands. <laughs> they have to do this all the time. And, um, and, but we succeeded. The, we, we, the, the trailer was demolished. We did burn what we could burn in, in this big bonfire kind of deal, but we still had a dumpster full plus. Um, and God blessed us, and we were able to get that out of there and, and build a home. The Holy Spirit fire is like the fire of the burning bush. It doesn't consume what it is not supposed to, but it will burn up the chaff. If we will allow the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives to purify, to burn away what really we wish we could get rid of, but we don't have it within our own strength to do it. There may be natural tendencies that we know do not line up with the purity of God. There may be weaknesses, temptations. We can't get rid of it ourselves. There's a passage in Zechariah, and I did not write down the uh, the reference I apologize but it talks about and, and the imagery is similar to those bowls that they were using one of them had the water the other had blood and that the Lord would pour that out and that we would then roar with the joy of the Holy Spirit and when we allow the fire of the Holy Spirit to purify us it brings about beauty the fire of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus, we learn from the scripture that that's what forgives our sins, but the Holy Spirit will take that and burn away and purify those things within us that we wish weren't true when he reveals it to us. Remember that the sermon we talked about confession. It's a time before God where we're able to come to terms with things that are true about us in his loving presence. And then this symbol helps us see that further, that the fire of the Holy Spirit will burn that up, separating the chaff away from us and purifying us. So being full of the Holy Spirit is joyous. <laughs> it's life-giving like breath. It is an anointing like oil. It is water flowing out of us and bubbling and having his power, the power of the fire of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I want to say this, kids, it's not like a dragon that breathes fire out and hurts other people. Okay, that's not what the fire of the Holy Spirit is about. I think, I think Pentecost might have a little bit of a reputation of that, a fiery preacher is one that's 
out here. The Holy Spirit is in here. Who am I to judge? But the Holy Spirit, he, he is here to judge. He knows every one of our hearts and he knows every one of our needs and that fire can purify us. So I want us to end today by just praying and I'm gonna pray through each of the symbols and let's just ask the Lord to continue. As Bethany said, with the most beautiful purity I, I've seen in a while, he's still at work on me. He's still at work on me. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to keep working. Let's pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here with us today. I pray for your oil of anointing to pour over every person here. That it would be soothing and healing, nourishing, and full of your favor, O oh Lord. I pray for the wine that would be bubbling out in joy and effervescence. I pray for the wind of the Holy Spirit that we would be a people that the evidence of the Holy Spirit would be seen. That even though the Spirit is invisible, the evidence of what you're doing in us would be visible. Let our sails be filled and moving forward according to what the Holy Spirit would say. Hmm. Somebody needed that. I want you to turn your sails to the wind of the Holy Spirit. Be willing to let the Spirit fill your sails and guide you where he wants you to go. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you for your water, O oh Lord, that quenches the thirst. You know our innermost being, and I pray that that thirst be quenched and that it then flow out of us, pure, sparkling. The dove of the Holy Spirit. who pointed out that Jesus is God's son. Would you hover over us, O Spirit of God? And Holy Spirit, we invite your fire. We invite your fire. We can actually embrace your judgment, God to allow the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn away those things that are sin in my life and bring about freshness and purity, confidence, innocence before you. Would you bring that fire into our lives, O Lord? I thank you for it. Thank you for it. Thank you, Jesus.